Ladies and gentlemen, this is Views from the Back of the Class. We're glad to have you guys with us again. And for those of you all who are new to the show, I am Jackson Bailey, but you can call me JB, and I'm here with my man. Howdy, howdy, howdy. It's Josh. Good to... I would say good to see you, but that'd be dumb because I can't see you. So I'm glad you guys are tuning in. Most definitely. So as always, we got something good for you. So Josh and I were talking in this space we spend a lot of time talking to each other and talking to you guys about, you know, all of the, the nerddom. And we were just kind of reminiscing on like, what were the things that made us really enjoy it in the first place? And for some reason, we keep going back to animation, you know, and just moments in that. So we got a little a little bit of a special treat for you guys this week. Uh, Josh and I have compiled and really shaved down because <laughs> we're only going to give you a few of them. The list is obviously going to be vast if we had the time to talk about it. But we're going to focus on animation in the nerd space and we're going to flip it a little bit, though. We're talking about some of the most impactful moments that existed, at least for us. So what we mean by impactful is, you know, good writing Stakes are high. It's 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 a moment, you know, a moment in in time. And we're going to each give you a few of them. We'll explain to you why and, you know, give you our thoughts on them. And hopefully you guys rock with what we're rocking with. And uh, you'll give us give us your feedback when we're done. Josh, what what you got for the people? One of the scenes that really sticks out to me is from X-Men, the animated series. And on earlier episodes, we've I've talked about how much I love this show, how it was like a gateway for me to the X-Men. And I think overall, you know, there, there's some really, really good episodes and there's some corny stuff in there, too. But um, some of the most profound moments in animation, when I think about that, when I say profound or kind of like what JB mentioned earlier is like the ones that kind of tug at your heartstrings or really make you look, you know, take a step back and be like, huh. And I remember seeing this as a kid and then having an impact then. And even now, you know, rewatching the scene and, and thinking about why it was happening and everything like that. It's kind of like, man, this is really deep for a kid's show. And I think that's kind of what has actually helped the uh, rewatchability of some of these shows. Like if you watch X-Men the animated series, I think it holds up pretty well over time. And I think it's things like this that help it do that. There are other shows where you're watching and you're like, this show did not age well. It is aged horribly. Fortunately for this show, it's not affected by that. So my scene is actually from uh, one of the earlier episodes, episode four of season one called Deadly Reunions. It's the one where um, Professor X is uh, trying to to help Sabretooth. And it comes out that Sabretooth is kind of a plant uh, for Magneto. And Wolverine is not cool with this. And <laughs> there's a scene earlier in the in the episode, like he's very not cool with it. Um, he stabs a door, which I guess is not unusual Wolverine activity for. But anyway, there was a scene early in the episode where Sabretooth is getting attacked. And this is the iconic moment for me. Like, I remember this as, as a kid. Cyclops, you know, being the Boy Scout, is like, hey, we got to we got to help him. They're going to kill him. <laughs> And Wolverine stands there and he says, good, let him. And he just, and Scott turns back and looks at him and he just sits there. He crosses his arm. He has like this defiant look. And it's just one of those things. It's just um, the voice acting and the animation and uh, the intensity of the scene, you know, because it's like they're even later on in the episode, they do try to, I won't say justify uh, Sabretooth and how he acts, but kind of give you uh, some uh, background on his history. You know, he's abused as a child and um, things like that. Oh, no, they were definitely trying to justify it because that's what we do these days. This is like 20 something years ago. I don't know if they were all about that, but I think they were just trying to show you the other side of the coin. Sure. You know, but that's later in the episode. And in, in this scene where he's just like, let them kill him. And he's so dead serious about it and just... Like, I don't care. Good riddance. The world would be better off. And knowing who Sabretooth is and what he's done and, and things like that. 
but we know who Sabretooth is as a character, what he's done. I just done some pretty horrible things. Is Wolverine right in this instance? And then at the same time, you know, like four or five or six year old me watching this and it's resonating a little bit that he's totally okay with them killing this man and then wondering why. And then the entire episode, you know, it's kind of um, looking at it now, it's kind of like a, a character study or something where everyone is kind of like, oh, we want to help Sabretooth and Wolverine, you got to control yourself. And um, there's a scene where Xavier tells him like, hey, as long as he's in my house, you know, he's protected by me. And if you want to get to him, you have to go through me. And Xavier is supposed to ha have Wolverine's back. So you kind of feel conflicted watching this, you know, this episode. I, at least for me, I was more so on a Wolverine side, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, you know, everyone deserves a second chance, so to speak. So am I on Xavier's side? And it's like, well, is there a better way to handle it? And I think 20 something years later, still having similar feelings on what's going on in this episode. I'm like, that's really uh, profound that they were doing something like this on a, on a kid show and that it's still something I think about from time to time or something that I could easily go to when we were talking about like topics for this, for the episode and examples. It's like, oh yeah, Wolverine and Sabretooth. And it doesn't really end there. There's a couple other instances where they go back and forth throughout the series, but this is the one that really, really stuck out is him just I mean, being like, good. Let him kill him. <laughs> that's pretty brutal for, for a kid show. I mean, we know Wolverine had no real issues with popping the claws for what he seems to you know what he uh, sees as being right but i think um well, he's the best there is at what he does absolutely and what he does isn't very nice well done sir thank you thank you <laughs> i think that's what makes that whole thing so cool though because it wasn't done in you know in a gory way or one that was inappropriate for the age but it was still you know you still got the point across which i thought was pretty dope and, and like you said it's a it's a you know a pretty gripping piece of writing for it just to be, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm air quoting just, a cartoon. Right. It was pretty powerful, I think. Yeah, they're talking about, like, the validity of human life, you know, <laughs> on a Saturday morning cartoon while you're eating your Cheerios. That's right. some deep stuff. And then the thing about it, too, I think that's really done well is, is how it makes you feel about the other characters. Because at certain points, it seems like the team is kind of like turning against Logan and, and treating him like he's the bad guy. Right. And at the end, he was kind of right. Like, no, Sabretooth is not here for help. He's 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 playing us. You know, we shouldn't let him in. He's dangerous. And he was right. So, you you know, you're you're watching this and you're taking sides and you're trying to uh, find the right position to take. And it's like, well, what is that? Even looking, thinking about it today and having recently uh, rewatched it, thanks to YouTube, even though I think it's, I don't know if it's still on Netflix or not. It is not. Okay. Makes sense. Disney Plus is a thing. Yes, it is. But, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, even now, I can't take the position that I'm 100% a Wolverine side because it's... In this 22 minutes, it's raising some pretty weighty topics. No doubt about it. In our list, too, or there, at least my list, is it's not in any particular order. So I'm not going to rank them or anything like that. There's there's no order to them to my list. That's kind of where I'm Just going so with know. it. With the exception of one, my last one that I mentioned is absolutely number one. But the rest of them can fight for whatever position and beyond that. I'm going to take the flip side of the same show and actually the same character being involved with X-Men the Animated Series. The scene that I'm referring to, though, was uh, Season 3, Episode 14, which is the end of the Dark Phoenix saga, Fate of the Phoenix. To set the scene, Episode was like wall-to-wall -wall action anyway. Because at this point, the Shi'ar had come for Jean Grey, and they were like, look, she got to die, man. <laughs> We got to, you know, the Phoenix, the Phoenix has to go. And so the X-Men are like, well, you know, we can't we can't have that. They're going to try to protect her, even though, you know, the Dark Phoenix is causing all this destruction. It's still Jean Grey. This is still teammate and their sister and uh, love of their life in the case of one. And they really couldn't do nothing with the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. 
But they did anyway, right? So rather than the Shi'ar coming in and taking over and doing what they were going to do, they allowed a trial by combat um, for the fate of the Phoenix, which is where the title comes in. So it goes, as you might think, the X-Men get mollywopped. That's just, <laughs> I mean, they put up a good fight, but they got, <laughs> they got buked one by one. Uh, but at the end of it all, they kind of figured it out or they saw even after the loss that, you know, the Shi'ar were right and this had to happen. So the tables are turned. They end up now fighting against the Dark Phoenix and it's a bad scene. She ends up getting taken out. Spoiler alert for something that happened 20 some years ago. <laughs> so she dies. If your history of the Dark Phoenix saga is any of those two terrible movies, you need to hit up your uh, comic shop ASAP. Right. That's what's so wild, too, uh, on a bit of a tangent, that a children's cartoon got that right, you know, 20, <laughs> 24 years before two billion dollar film companies with two chances couldn't get it right anyway yeah so phoenix gets murked right she's she's gone and um or at least gene gray is dead and so the phoenix is there and they're they're conversing and phoenix is not really apologetic but as apologetic as it could be like man look i was experiencing human emotion and i didn't i didn't know how to handle it and i was wilding they're like, well, what about Jean? Oh, she dead. <laughs> <laughs> what the what the dialogue yeah. was was a little more eloquent than what I'm saying. It, uh, but anyway, so um, they pretty much were saying that she's she's dead. And there's nothing that can be done. Her flame was out, and that the only way that she could be around would be, you know, to take the flame from somebody else. So, Scott. You know, Cyclops steps up. He was like, well, then take mine. And Wolverine was like, I ain't giving you a choice. So they about to duke it out, you know, to try to save her, which that in and of itself was was kind of crazy because they were just moments ago all in to try to take her out. And then, you know, flipping it right around, willing to liter- quite literally die for her to be able to live. And um, I don't know if I should spoil the whole thing. I'm going to spoil the whole thing. It's been. They all end up twenty. <laughs> right. It has been twenty years. So they all, all of the X Men, um, decide that they would sacrifice a small part of themselves so that she could survive the ordeal. Which, again, remembering the context of this, this is a child's cartoon. I am. Let's see. This was nineteen ninety four. So I'm. Not even a teenager yet. I'm still an elementary school student. And this is, you know, the entertainment that was for us. And it was it was this is riveting. This is real world stuff about, you know, love and loss and sacrifice and, you yeah, know, your family. It's oh, I was trying to get around that <laughs> conflict, conflict between one's friends and deciding, you know, whether you were going to, you know, back up your friend who's who's doing wrong or not and maybe you choose one one uh, course of action and you have to reverse that it's it's a lot like it's insane to me now as an adult to look at that and think wow these themes were you know explored in such a way broken down to the level that a child can understand it but not be overwhelmed by um what the themes behind this were which Comparing to the the scene that you were discussing, same show, same character as, you know, Wolverine being heavily involved in both of them and I'm having completely different positions on how he's handling a situation. These are both people that he had relationships with. Right. He was a he had a relationship with Creed before it all went south and his positioning on it was vastly different. One is let him die. The other one is, you know, I'll I'd rather die than let her die. And that's kind of kind of wild. And this is not, you know, a fluke with when it comes to this show. This was a couple of examples of several. And this is just one show that we're talking about. This it, It's kind of crazy, but it's one of those things that when you stop and think about it, that's 
at least for me, and I'm, I'm sure I can speak for you and um, Josh as well, that this is, you know, what kind of makes you fall in love sounds a little bit too strong, but uh, have an affinity <laughs> for these these characters in this world, even though it's completely made up and imaginary, it's still very grounded in real world stuff within all of this extraordinary things that are happening around it. It's pretty crazy. The Phoenix Saga alone is a pretty epic, but to pull out that scene from that entire arc, and I do remember it, it's one of those things too, it's like, that's iconic in, in how it's done and, and the solution that they're presenting and what it kind of means. You know, it's in, like you said, this is a yeah. children's show. And yet, 20-something years later, it's still one of those things that's kind of easily recalled. Absolutely. It stirs up the same emotions and, and looking how we deal with life at the time. Sure. So the next one for me comes from The New Batman Adventures. It's season one, episode eight, uh, Growing Pains. And the premise for this episode is that Robin, who's now uh, Tim Drake, comes across a girl. And she kind of has, like, memory issues. She doesn't know where she's from, he being the hero. But also, I think he has, like, well, I don't think he does. He has, um, develops a little crush in her. He tries to help her. And there's a couple of things that happen in the episode that kind of, like, endear you to this character. Her name is Annie. And Batman's working a case separate. And there's some intersection between them and Clayface is involved. The premise is Robin kind of, he wants to help the girl. Uh, figure out where she's at and, and just help her in any way you can. And through the events of the episode, you find out or she finds out, she finally realizes that she's not a girl that Clayface created her. He was damaged in a fight and um, he was weak and he couldn't rematerialize and kind of didn't know where he was at at the time. So he created Annie to figure out where he was and, and what the situation was and to report back to him once she figured that out. But I think in the show, she said that once she got uh, separated from him, she she forgot all that, and hence the lost girl in Gotham. In the meanwhile, Clayface is pursuing them, and the reason is because he wants his, I guess, property back or his limb or I don't know what you would call her. <laughs> but he wants to basically reabsorb her. <laughs> and... Uh, Tim doesn't want that to happen, even when he realizes that she's a part of him and that she was made from Clayface. I mean, she's exhibited a different personality and character traits and that are totally different from uh, from Clayface. So there's a scene at the end, and it's even like rewatching it. Um, now I actually watched it today. Clayface confronts them. This is after she realized that he made her. And Robin is like, no, I'm going to protect you. Run. And Clayface is like, hey... This doesn't concern you, you know, just leave. And Robin's like, no. Robin ends up trying to fight Clayface, but of course, you know, it's only certain people who can do that, like Batman. And Clayface gets the upper hand, and he's gonna, like, overpower Robin and throw him into, like, a vat of chemicals. Seeing this, Annie charges Clayface and, like, tackles him, and then there's this scene that's just, like, really... <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's really disturbing to watch and kind of heartbreaking, as she's like reabsorbed into his body but then she's still kind of like fighting and trying to get out and then she disappears and robin is upset and he's like bring her back bring her back and he's attacking clayface and he's releasing like water to dissolve him it's like as a threat and batman shows up and like he has to stop robin from fighting uh clayface because eventually clayface probably would have killed robin but, you know, Robin was just so disturbed and angry and upset about what happened that he had crossed that line, so to speak. Right. You know, looking back at that episode, it's one of those things where, you know, watching it, you're like, oh, man, this is sad. And even at the end, Batman, you know, saves a day and saves Robin and they the police arrest Clayface and Commissioner Gordon's there. And he's like, OK, we're going to charge him with, you know, this crime, this crime. And he starts to walk away and that Robin's like in murder. And it's just one of those things that just, like, it hits you, and you're like, man, that's deep. Right. This episode is, especially nowadays, right, we have AI is a real thing. Uh, it's not as advanced as, you know, as it's portrayed in, you know, science fiction and stuff like that. But I think it's a something that as we continue down the path, we're going to have to face with. But what levels do you value life when it becomes sentient? 
like in in this case with Annie. Right. She she was a totally sentient being. Yes, she was made by Clayface, but at the same time, would she kind of be like a child of Clayface, or is she just a persona of his and, and programmed it to act that way? And again, it's another cartoon, another, but it raises another interesting question that it wants you to weigh in on, and how you feel and and how you react to what's going on. You know, it's not just. An, an action story, but it's it's a lot of elements going on here. Crushes and what is and isn't life and what should be protected. Why? How? And how do we react to that? Because not everything, even Batman said, not everything has a happy ending at the end of the episode. And it's so true in this in this case. Another impactful one for me that even, you know, to this day <laughs> is still kind of one of those ones that when you watch it, you're just like, wow, this is deep. Yeah, it's kind of a messed up message to give kids. <laughs> not, <laughs> it's Batman, though. Come on. Uh, that's real. Uh, not everything has a happy yeah. ending. As it, you can laugh at it but I mean, from that, a distance, but as a kid, that probably disturbs you a little bit. It did disturb me because I remember watching this as, again, watching it as a kid. And at this point, I was, um, yeah, I was probably about nine or 10, depending on when it came out. And uh, maybe eight, nine, 10, somewhere around that. But yeah, no, it was definitely disturbing. But for those reasons, because you're invested in a character in Annie, you're invested in her mystery and solving it, and then you find out that oh crap, she's right a part of Clayface or is Clayface. Then you're you you're conflicted because you're like, well, no, she doesn't act like Clayface. She doesn't do this or that. And um, I think you know, as we age and think more about the story and what happened in this episode, I think that's when the question of what is life comes into play. I mean, I think it was there too, but if you're not in the right age, you're probably going to overlook it, but it's going to be one of those things where you look back and be like, oh crap, that's that's a big issue they raised back then. Sure. I mean, you could take it any number of ways. Like now, it would certainly apply to AI. I would even think of it at the time, at least, not even being you know tech-based, but you think about people's family dynamics and, you know, maybe you have a, a family background that isn't the best, right? Maybe, you know, your, your your old man or whomever is raising you is involved in some shady stuff. Uh, and you don't want to be a part of that, right? So you break off from it. You gain friendships and relationships with people outside of that. And, you know, you're, you're doing different things. And then here comes that, that family coming back. Like, nah, you need to get back into the fold. And, you know, that you could see that very same thing play out again in a, in a very real life situation. Um, again, made for, made for kids, but, you know, still having a, having some heart, even, you know, within the entertainment, which, you know, was a, a sign of good storytelling. Yeah. So I feel like we keep running into very similar themes here. Not exactly in this time, this case, because it's not the same character, but it's the same, same universe, at least. Oh, come on. I, it had to be it. Had to be it. But it's not a, a show this time. It was a movie. So this was Superman Doomsday. Here's the scene. I'll try to cut it short. Supergirl crash lands on Earth. Superman's like, hey, it's my cousin. Batman was like, nah, I don't trust her. Wonder Woman was like, she's too powerful. She needs to be trained, so she she need to come with me. Dark Side was like, yeah, she is powerful. I need that. Now, for those of you all who don't know about Dark Side, Dark Side has his group of female furies, which is basically yeah, he's like a super pimp. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> that is definitely one way of looking at it. But he got a, a squad of, of deadly women that do his bidding. So he wants the Kryptonian. He's like, yeah, she's going to be a good addition to the squad. So he goes to get her. And obviously, you know, Batman, Superman can't allow that to happen. Wonder Woman neither. Uh, in order to get there, they need assistance. So they get assistance from Bardo, who was a former Fury. Anyway, they go to uh, Darkseid's homeworld of Apocalypse to go get her. And, you know, he's got home court advantage, so they got no way of winning. Now, mind you, Superman is one of the most powerful heroes on Earth or off. Wonder Woman ain't far behind. 
but it's Batman who saves the day. Here's the scene for me. <laughs> this is why he's one of my favorite characters in any comic universe. So he he's calling Darkseid out by name. He calls him. He's like, hey, you need to you need to give the girl up. I wish you could see the look that I gave to imitate the look that he gave to Batman. Like, what? No, why would I do that? <laughs> and he's like, he basically is like, look, I'm going to nuke your planet. It's like you bluff. You wouldn't. He gives him the code that would have launched the, the, the weapons or whatever. Now, Darkseid is a tactician. He's usually one step ahead. He's arrogant. He typically does not lose his cool. He just goes on these long monologues telling you what he's going to do. And he loses it in that moment. Mm-hmm. He rushes him, grabs Batman. He's like, I could kill you in one move if I wanted to. He's like, yeah, but I won't stop the weapons that have already been primed. So Darkseid is snapping. You dare? He punches him. Boom. Picks him up again. Literally punches this dude through a wall. And got him hanging out. He's holding him by the throat. (laughs) And Batman doesn't bluff. Doesn't flinch. He's like, all right. I'll make no move against the girl. And he doesn't. He lets them go. Everybody gets to leave. Mm Because Batman was a G. Now, I'm not going to tell you how it all ends up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go watch the movie. But that scene in and of itself. Batman is literally staring down the barrel of death and didn't blink. The weakest person on the planet at that moment is a mere human. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that got the job done. And if I'm not mistaken to not to talk about your scene, but I know the scene and I, I love it. Batman, is that the one he he's able to dodge Darkseid's Omega Beams too? And Darkseid's like, you're the one of the only people who've been able to do that. I don't remember him commenting on it. Okay. I think he was just shocked by it. Just shows you that Batman's the best. Like you said, he gets Darkseid to back down. And Darkseid is like, you know, out of all the people with you, I believe you're something like that. He says something to the effect of... He said if it was the Amazon... Batman is the one who would actually... Yeah, he said if it was the Amazon or the Kryptonian, they don't have the fortitude to decimate an entire planet to to accomplish their goals. Yes, thinking about it though is he like dissing the human the human race and our propensity to like destroy each other i think that's what it was i think that was specific to that person because he didn't he he believed him yeah it was it was a great scene and and Mm -hmm. incredible voice acting by uh, andre brower excellent casting for dark side he's got a great voice for that and if you don't watch the whole movie which was dope watch that scene Everything that leads up to that in the movie and in the um, interactions between the heroes and their plight over Kara, you know, and it comes down to that. It's just good writing, good scripting and good animation and just directing and everything that makes for good storytelling. Dare I say good cinema? Shout out to Marty. (laughs) Depends on who you ask. I got one, too. And I don't think that. These are, you know, meant to purposely be depressing or anything like that. I just, they're impactful. It's those scenes that I guess you don't really expect to see them in something like this. Right, right. So for me, I have season two, episode 13 epilogue for Justice League Unlimited. Let me make sure that's right, because some nerd is going to be like, actually, it wasn't season two, episode three. It was blah, blah, blah. So I want to make sure that I got it right. I don't feel like pissing off nerds today, <laughs> uber nerds. You're better than me because you know I'm always down for a good fight. Yeah, okay. So season two, episode three, epilogue. It's kind of like the, uh, it's really the series finale for Batman Beyond. But there's right. a scene in there where we see Ace from the Royal Flesh Gang and the episode deals with the storyline from them earlier. But the scene for me that killed it is at the end Ace's powers have grown to be more than just making people hallucinate things like that. She can actually alter reality. So she's done this and she's done it in a way that could be detrimental to a lot of people because Amanda Waller shows up and she's like, hey, Ace is either days or hours away from having a brain aneurysm. I can't remember who said, said this, but they're like, oh, okay, cool. Problem solved. It wasn't, it might've been Hawk Girl, but I don't think so. I can't remember the character who was kind of okay with it, but she's like, no, 
because the energy that's released will put millions in dangers or people within miles of her. So she's like, somebody needs to put her down. And so think Hawkgirl is going to volunteer to do it. But then Batman's like, no, I'll do it. And Amanda is like, you know, this means you have to kill her. And he doesn't say anything. He like just does his Batman thing and turn around and walk off. And he goes to meet Ace and she's just sitting there. She's on a swing and she's swinging. And um, it's a really sad scene. And she reads his mind and she's like, hey, I know you're not going to kill me. The lines here that really hits home or hits you in the chest. Um, and this is a shout out to Dwayne McDuffie, who, who wrote that episode, is that she said, I knew you weren't going to use Mrs. Waller's device to kill me. And I don't know why it is the way she says, you know, instead of saying Amanda Waller's or this or that, she says Mrs. Waller's. Mm-hmm. And that tugs at the heartstrings. Um, she said, you were going to you were coming here to talk me into fixing everything that I did before I die. And he's like, yes. And then she's like, she acknowledges that she is going to be dying soon. And then he says, I'm sorry. And he's stoic. And then she's like, will you sit here with me? You know, in that scene, like before that happens, she's talking to you about like her childhood and growing up with Cadmus and just how, you know, she was deprived of, of a childhood. And, you know, Batman says, yeah, I can relate to that. And she recognizes because she reads his mind that it's true. But then, you know, after she starts reversing the effects of everything, she's like, will you sit here with me until she dies? And he, he sits on the swing next to her and he puts out his hand. And it's like the framing of that scene and, you know, the minimal dialogue. And I don't know, it's just something about everything that's happening in that scene that's, ah, I keep saying this word, I feel like it should be a drinking game. Every time we say impactful, you have to take a drink. But... <laughs> it's impactful. <laughs> and then at the end of the scene, too, you know, everything's reversed and everything's back to normal. The world is saved. And it ends with Batman walking, you know, towards the group and he's carrying Ace's body. But man, it's a tough one to get through. Yeah, man. Dwayne McDuffie has had a lot of super impactful moments like that in a lot of his work. Again, back to, to Milestone, he was one of the architects of that. From there to his work in Justice League, the television show, as well as, you know, his run on Justice League in the in the books. Read up on him. If you if you're not familiar with his work, like you should be. And I, I'm pretty sure you are familiar with his work. You just didn't know, right. you know, to give him credit for it. That it's him. Yes. Yeah, it is. And it's it's one of those things where it's. You know, it's a it's it's a show about superheroes saving the world and teaming up and doing it and everything like that, and it's not all um, cotton candy and fluff. It's animated. It's you know, it's comic book characters and all this other stuff, but there's substance to the stories. Sure, sure. And the way it's weaved together, like you said, McDuffie did it, and a couple other writers and stuff. How they've done it in these shows. Yeah, I believe it was he and Bruce Tim were working on that particular one. Another name you should know if you don't, because it all kind of started with Batman, right? Way back in 92, when Batman the Animated Series first came mm-hmm. out. So it starts there. It's like 92. Uh, it starts there, then you get, you know, all of the other shows that built from that. So you get your Superman and Teen Titans and Justice League and Teen Titans Go and that whack Green Lantern. and My last one, my last clip or episode that i would touch on is again with the orphan sorry guys and this is the one that i would say is uh the number one most impactful piece of animation and this one is it could definitely tug at the heartstrings batman beyond return of the joker so it's a the film not the show oh movie itself was was pretty interesting so obviously Batman Beyond is way in the future. You know, the Joker is dead at this point, but there's all these there's this gang running around, you know, imitating him and then there appears to be a new Joker on the scene, but how in the heck is that even possible cuz Joker's been dead for 40 years or however long, you know, however much time has passed. Anyway, that's the the premise of the story. Commissioner Gordon is now Barbara Gordon. So 
the new Batman, Terry McGinnis, is investigating the new Joker, and they're trying to figure this thing out. DNA is matching for the old Joker, but it couldn't possibly be right because, again, he's dead. So Barbara, Commissioner Gordon, tells the new Batman a secret about what happened to the old Joker. The scene that I am choosing is the death of the Joker in that movie. Spoiler alert, the Joker dies. <laughs> so here's what happens. Robin was kidnapped by the Joker. It flashes back to the animation style of the original Batman, the animated series. So you see, you know, old school Batman, he's kicking in doors and busting heads like, look, I need to know where my, where, where my boy is at. And he's trying to figure it out. Finally finds him. Finds Robin. Robin has been poisoned. And, and this is Tim Drake, This right? is Tim Drake. This is Tim Drake, not uh, not Nightwing. So he finds him. He is brainwashed and poisoned. So he has been in- infected with Joker venom. And he's now behaving like the Joker. He's dressed like him. He's, you know, got the green hair and the permanent grin on his face. He's just been been done. Batman is so caught off guard that the Joker is able to take advantage of that. And now the Joker got the Batman kind of hemmed up and he's like ready to kill him. So he's got the gun on him and he changes his mind and he tosses the gun to the kid formerly known as Robin. And he's like, here, son, I want you to do it. So he tosses him the gun. He goes to do it. And he's laughing, of course, because he's got Joker toxin in him. And he's laughing, you know, this maniacal laugh and laughing and laughing and laughing. And Batman is looking at him. Um, He's not saying anything, obviously, because it's Batman. Batgirl is there as well. And she's trying to talk him out of it, tell him to fight it. So he's crying now. Tim is crying now because you can see he's trying to fight it and still laughing. Like, that's what you hear is the laughter. But the tears are coming. Finally tosses the gun away lunges at the joker to get batman free and there's a tussle joker tries to get up robin is going for him and he slips on something and ends up getting electrocuted but it was robin's fault so he now has to carry on his conscience the fact that he was responsible for killing the joker and he still has that dna in him the scene mm-hmm. watching the conflict in his brain trying to fight this conditioning that he's been through and to mm-hmm. break through it it was it was something to see like it's tough yeah it is if you can watch that and you don't get you ain't you ain't feeling some kind of way you have no soul like that is the single saddest most entertaining most well-written piece or scene that i've seen in superhero animation bar none mark hamill is like mark hamill is when he was doing the joker we talk about this all the time (laughs) and if if y'all following us on instagram you see what i'm I'm saying about that because they keep putting the stuff up there okay well who's the best joker is it nicholson is it heath ledger is it now joaquin phoenix notice nobody talks about jerry leto anyway (laughs) the answer to that question Whenever you're asking, which is the best Joker? Hamill is the answer. Hamill is the only Joker I recognize. Don't talk to me about nobody else. I don't know. Heath Ledger is pretty dope. I don't know what you're talking about. This <laughs> this scene, though, like the, the it's something about the way it was drawn. Yes. The way he's moving the smile in his face, the tear in his eyes, the emotion that they were able to get on this guy's face. And we've all seen, hopefully you've seen, the Timverse um, animation style. It's not very detailed. It is and it isn't. You know, it's drawn in a way so that they can obviously reproduce it cheaply. It's, it's subtle details in it, but it's something about that scene when everything's happening. He's crying and you just feel it, man. You feel it in your gut. like Yeah, because you don't hear it in his voice at all. The, the laugh doesn't change at all. Like, you don't hear the mm-hmm. change in from laughter to tears. You just see it. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. I remember watching this with my dad. 
And uh, he's, you know, my dad's not a, I mean, obviously he was a grown man. Right, right, right. <laughs> but he's not like a big co- cartoon guy. You know, he likes the Simpsons and stuff like that. But he's not like a big cartoon guy. But I remember him like sitting down. I was in the living room watching the entire thing with me. And then as it's ending, he's just like, man, this is deep. This is deep, you know. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty much the, the response you get from that one. It'd be tough to say, yeah, that's not number one. I mean, I'm sure there are other moments out there that. Sure. But I mean, it's your list, so I'm not going to knock it. I'm not going to judge it too hard. I'm not going to do my Josh thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a solid one to end with. So for me, I have from Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, season two, episode seven, episode Zuko alone. This whole episode to me is it's one of my favorite episodes of um the last airbender it's probably one of my favorite episodes of just animation period especially in this genre even you know if you layer in you know like uh animes and stuff like that this is this is one of my favorites i'm not gonna say it's number one or anything like that it's just one of my favorite episodes and zuko alone so season one of avatar we know he and his uh, he was banished scarred prince with his uncle were pursuing the avatar he wanted to capture the avatar to regain his honor and go back home um, to his father fire lord ozai so season two is kind of different season one ended he wasn't successful and now he's kind of almost like a refugee him and his uncle are in hiding so previous to this him and his uncle go their separate ways zuko goes one way Iroh goes another, his uncle. So this episode, he's facing challenges by himself. That's the why it's called Zuko Alone. And he stumbles into an, an earthbender village. And he's just trying to, like, you know, be low-key, not draw a lot of attention. But he befriends a little boy. And, you know, through the episode, he's helping the little boy with different things. He helps the family with their farm. He learns that the little boy's brother had an older brother who went to war and fought and uh, you're led to believe that he died and it kind of like it hit Zuko because he realizes like hey he's even though the war is not his fault it's his family's fault so that kind of like falls back on him and weighs on him there so he's feeling a little guilty in that too he's um, facing all these things the first time by himself and not being the prince and kind of just being a loner and there are these earth nation soldiers who are kind of like tormenting the town they're in the army but they're kind of like renegades and um are just using their power and abusing it to get better food and whatever they want from the people and he stands up to them so he i think it's three of them he ends up fighting them at first and he doesn't use his bending but then at the end they're kind of like taunting him like who are you you're you know this peasant blah 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 and it's this really awesome scene where he has like his uh, his broadswords and he's uh, shooting out fire and everything like that. And he's like, he announces himself. He's like, I'm Prince Zuko of the Fire Nation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, son of Fire Lord Ozai and all this other stuff. And he defeats the bad guys. But at the same time, the family who he was helping reject him. You know, the little boy who was his friend who had been playing with him. I think Zuko had given him his, his uncle's knife or something like that too earlier in the episode. But the little boy is like, I hate you because of what happened to his family. And, and the episode kind of just leaves, ends off with Zuko just leaving and heading to his next destination. And it's one of the ones I remember watching. And, you know, at this point, I am a teenager when um when Last Airbender's on. But it's one of the ones I'm watching. I'm just like, wow. You know, like, I may have been lounging on the couch, but by the time the episode was over, I was like actually sitting, sitting and watching. Up, yeah. And t- <laughs> yeah, my attention was on the screen. It's a really, really deep episode. It has bits of uh, comedy and humor in it, but it's a it's a deep one. And it's looking back at it, you know, even today, like I think it ages well. I've watched it recently. You know, I love The Last Airbender, not the movie, the TV show. Oh, the movie was dope. So, but even. The, I'm okay. I'm, 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 I'm trolling. <laughs> I almost hit stop. <laughs> like we're done recording. <laughs> it was uh, trash. <laughs> another example of um where they have the material written for them and they just do what they want. But yeah, the Zuko alone is a fantastic episode of television. 
animation, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. It's a fantastic episode of television. No doubt about it. Like, and I wasn't even into Avatar like that. So some of the backstory was. I think I did. I'm. I have had every intention of going back to, to check it out, but. It's a long history, and it's just only so much time, but I will eventually. But, um, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it, and this this episode being one of them, it was it's one of those ones that felt like it was, you know, representative of something else, and maybe that's me wanting to see something deeper than that wasn't there, but to have this family turn on them because of who he was, and I, sure, you know, it, it certainly affected their family, and I get that, but he ain't do it. <laughs> and so for you to, you know, turn your back on him like that and his reaction to it was pretty, pretty powerful to see. Mm-hmm. Like you could see it, his, his change and metamorphosis happening. Yep. During the episode, he's, he's living in the real world. He's seen how the fire nation has affected people from the other side. Right. You know, in, in ways that he didn't even think about. Yeah. And, you know, he got a, a, a small taste of it with how people responded to him not not that he had to suffer the same way other people did based on what the fire nation was doing but um he had to reckon you know reconcile that within himself that's a tough place to be in i got something i could say about that but i won't suffice to say (laughs) that is a tough place for for zuko to have found himself in and dope episode not i recommend along with josh that you guys watch that one if you haven't. Yes, it's it, and it's a lot of good ones too. It is. It is. And let us know if you guys think we um we miss some and you know you want to give us some suggestions of things that's going to make us, you know, man cry. Let us know. And ain't got to all be out. sad. Like I don't think that was <laughs> that wasn't really the no, intent. No, that's not the intention. Here, but it, these were all very um you know, powerfully written scenes and some of them were sad for sure. And that was the emotion, mm-hmm. you know, designed to draw out of you. But it doesn't. They don't always have to be that, right? You can you can have really really dope scenes, really dope, you know, shows. Uh, the whole purpose of us and how the conversation even came about was again just one of those things that what allowed us to be drawn into this world and to see real world stuff mirrored in that uh, made it that much more interesting to me, at least. So, yeah, definitely uh, hit us up with what you guys have. Do you have any, like, honorable mentions or anything like that, JB? Uh, yes. I have two, um, just because I think it would be good to watch. Not that they were super impactful or anything, but the Ultimate Avengers and Ultimate Avengers 2 movies, both were pretty dope. You get to see a drunk Thor, <laughs> which is always fun. <laughs> And uh, you get to see Black Panther introduced maybe 15 years before we got the Black Panther film. Um, we got to see an animated version of Wakanda. So that was pretty interesting. But yeah, so go go check those both out. Avengers and Avengers 2, the animated movies. Cool. Oh, and Justice League Doom. Yeah, that's a good one. There's so much good like, in just, really Justice is. League, the TV show. <laughs> it really is. Um, like the scene where um the one where Flash and Lex Luthor swap consciousness yeah. and Lex Luthor's like, I'm gonna find out who Flash is and he takes the mask off and he's like, I have no idea who this is. And it's so <laughs> real because you know, it's like, why would you why would you think this superhero is somebody you know? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like that scene's so good. The scene where they're in hiding and Bruce is like, We need to change or Batman's like, We need to change uh clothes and everything like that and flash is like hey i love you guys but i'm not ready to to uh give up my secret identity right and then batman goes and like names who everyone is right (laughs) justice league is is a great show if you haven't seen it find it stream it go through all the episodes there's there's some bad ones but even the bad ones are still enjoyable so for me officially my honorable mentions again it's going back to avatar the last airbender Season 2, episode 15, The Tales of Ba Sing Se. That is, it's um, not really a clip show, but it's a show where every every character has their own story, and it's only like two or three minutes. 
but there's a lot of interaction between the characters that they're they're not aware of but it's just a, another really nice piece of tv there's some sad stuff going on but there's some funny stuff with uh Sokka and and Toph and the gang but it's it's another great episode you know it's, it's another one of my favorite episodes of Avatar um another one for me is uh what is it called Superman Legacy so Superman the animated series which I'm not I'm, I'm not really a big fan of that show you know I watched it because it was on and because it was part of the history for Justice League and everything but you know I, I could take it or leave it to be honest with you but Superman season three, episode twelve, Legacy, when Superman is fighting uh, Darkseid, and he finally he goes in like, a little monologue, and he's like, you know what? I realize I don't have to hold back with you, and that's nice because you have no idea what it's like to be me. I live in a world where everything's like cardboard, and I have to be so mm-hmm. careful. But I can take it all out on you, and that like bit of dialogue there. And he, yeah, that was a, <laughs> oh, oh, he that was a moment him. where you could get it to get a little bit of respect for what, what he does. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that that's like character development right there too. Like yes. It ended it in a, on a high note and, um, you know, I wasn't expecting that. And you know, that's another bit that I, I think you guys should check out and we'll, we'll definitely enjoy, but there's, there's so much more, there's so many more scenes that like just jump out at me and, uh, my last one. I don't. I don't we even know what do it all night. Was. I be just honest, Spider Man. Hundreds of them. Yeah, but I don't know if you know, if you saw this one, but in Spider Man the animated series, it was I think it was like the X Men crossover or something. But Peter Parker is taking pictures of the event, and he bumps into somebody he knows. I think he, I don't know if he liked her as this pre Mary Jane or what, but. The woman refers to like the mutants as freaks, and Peter just—he's disturbed by that. He's like, oh, "I'm, I'm surprised you would say that. I'm super surprised." And he—he's like just so disturbed at their attitude towards right. mutants. And I just thought, you know, even as a kid, I was like, "Man, that's that's deep." That you know they're preaching tolerance and stuff. Yeah. Even even when it wasn't their show, that's what the X Men did, right? Mm-hmm. All right, I'll get off my nostalgia kick and thinking about all these these great shows that in the moments i love from them i feel like that's really all this was a trip down memory lane for us <laughs> oh for sure we're just we're just looping you guys in for your benefit no doubt <laughs> and we were glad that you guys took this took this long trip with us definitely if you have not seen uh even if not um the shows that we're talking about at least check out uh, the particular episodes that we're re- referring to. Uh, make sure you check those guys out. And as always, holla at us. We we out here in these internet streets and such. Make sure you uh, rate us, review us, subscribe if you haven't. Tell a friend to tell a friend. You can find us on Instagram at views from the back of the class underscore pod. You can find us on Twitter at the other n word. You can email us at viewspod at gmail dot com. You can call or text us at three one two. Five two one zero five two seven, and we look forward to hearing from you on whatever platform you you choose. Five stars, five stars, five stars. Just joking, not really. What he said. <laughs> and on that note, class dismissed. <laughs>